Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. God is good. God is a redeemer. God is a redeemer. Man, uh, I'm going to share some testimonies real quick of just God's redeeming power. Is that all right? We're going to get into this series, and we're going to lay a foundation of this idea. When I was studying for this series, uh, cancel culture, 40% of Americans kind of don't know what that means. And what basically it is, is something out of your past, someone can grab a hold of and cancel you, which doesn't make sense. But we have, we have a society, we have a world that screams, you can't be better than your mistakes. Your mistakes will hold you back the rest of your life. And that is counter to what God wants to do. God is a redeemer. I don't care what you're going through, what you're in. I don't care who, I don't care the issue. God can redeem. And that's the theme of scripture. If, if I could boil scripture down to one word, I would boil it down to redemption. Hundreds of times throughout scripture, it says God redeemed. God redeemed. Or it mentions the word redemption. Hundreds of times. The theme of redemption. And God's still redeeming. If you guys remember on Easter, the Lord moved powerfully and um, over two, we had a couple more testimonies come in this week. A lady that we prayed for, um, for her hearing to come back, she texted me and she said, my hearing's back. Like the, the buzzing that I constantly hear for years is gone. And the Lord, I mean, just started showing up this morning. Miss Ada walked up to me and said the Wednesday after Easter, you know how you prayed for my kidneys? I'm like, Yes, I don't remember. I don't remember that far back. I prayed for a lot of people that morning. I got to be honest. But um, she's like, that Wednesday after Easter, I woke up and all my kidney pain was gone and it hasn't come back since. <laughs> Praise God. We had other, I mean, like, God redeems. God wants to heal. God wants to show up in your life. Man, Mm. I am excited to see what God is going to do. Because this is a message that we need to carry with us as we talk to people, as we, as we go and engage a culture that screams cancel. That there, there might be people that you know, or maybe you are one of those people yourself that say, how can God use me? And you're trying to cancel yourself. God's saying, I can use you. And so I, what I want to do in, 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 for just a moment, let's just pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that this message will resonate in all who hear it. I pray that we can grab a hold of this theme that you interwoven throughout Scripture of redemption and how you want to turn things around. And Lord, I pray that, that hope will be kindled in the heart of all who hear. I pray that you'll give creative ideas to give conversation for people who know people who, who feel this way. And maybe they're here today that you need to work in their hearts I pray that we walk out of here thinking redemption over cancel. We're thinking that God can use us and wants to use us. Lord, I thank you. I pray that you will help me to say exactly what you would have me to say. No more, no less. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I want to lay a baseline for this series. A foundation of what redemption really is. And to put us all on the same page, I want to read a definition of redemption. Redemption, the action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil. That's pretty amazing. 
The second definition is like it, but better, in my opinion. The action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. What God did for us that we just celebrated two weeks ago, when he raised from the dead, he not only, he not only gained possession of us in exchange for payment. He paid the price to Christ, or to God. Christ paid the price to God, and then he cleared our debt. How many of you guys have ever been in debt? Praise the Lord. How many of you guys would ever want that debt cleared? Like, without paying it off. Like, someone just walks in and says, I'm clearing your debt. That's what Jesus did. That's what redemption does. He clears the debt. And when the debt's cleared, the debtor can't come knocking, right? It's as if you, you never owed it, right? That's what redemption is. God clears your debt to the point where you never even owed it. Oh. So we're going to look at a man named Saul. He changes his name to Paul. And this guy, he was an apostle. He was in ministry for 32 years. The last 10 years of his ministry, he was in jail. Why was he in jail? For preaching the gospel. For preaching the gospel. For saying he actually got arrested um, the, the final time he got arrested, the main reason he got arrested is because he was preaching that God justifies through faith. And what that means is we can't work our way into heaven. We don't have to keep the law of God to gain salvation because Jesus paid our debt. He cleared our debt. And he got arrested for that. The Jews were like, he doesn't respect. He doesn't respect the law of God. No, that's not the case. If you ever read any letter of Paul, he has the utmost respect for the law of God, but what he's saying is it's powerless to save us. And the Jews in Jerusalem did not like that because they were still worshiping through the law of God. They were still making sacrifices. They were still doing all this stuff. And they, they rounded up the city and they, and they basically mobbed Paul and started beating him. And we're going to step in to this moment 22 years into his ministry. And we're going to read from his own words his testimony of how he got redeemed. And what we're going to do here is look at snapshots of his life right out the gate when he got redeemed. In the middle of his ministry, 20 years in or so of his ministry, and then at the end of his life. So let's throw it up there. We're going to be reading out of Acts chapter 22. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 22. And, and this, is, this is Paul after he got arrested in Jerusalem. He said, brothers and esteemed fathers. And he's speaking to the Jewish high council. They were just beating the crud out of him but he's retreating them with respect. He said, listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. Suddenly they realized, hey, this guy's not a Greek. He's a Hebrew. He was either speaking Hebrew or Aramaic. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, in a city in Sicilia. And I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. And they would have known who this guy was. That guy, Paul's teacher, was like the Oxford like of teachers in Jerusalem, in Jewish law. Like he was like the best teacher to sit under when it came to being a Pharisee. He was the stuff. It, it was like Paul didn't go to a community college. He went to Oxford Theological Seminary, if you know what I'm saying. He had the best teacher in all of Israel teaching him. And he was like the pupil that you want, that every teacher wants. That's what Paul was. 
As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs, and I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way. So before Christians were called Christians, they were called followers of the way. That was the original title for the church. It wasn't um, Christian. It wasn't called Christian, which means little Christ. It was called followers of the way, which is actually really cool. I think we should bring that back. We could say, this is the way. <laughs> but it is, that's, that's what he did. And, and like, this kind of dumbs it down. But what he actually did is he would go door to door, drag people out. He would have them killed. He would have them arrested. He, I mean, regardless of age, if they followed Jesus, Paul went after them. Hounding some to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. The voice replied, I am Jesus the Nazarene, or Jesus of Nazareth, some of your translations might read, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up, go into Damascus, and there, will, there you will be told everything you are to do. I was blinded by intense light and had to be led by hand to Damascus by my companions. So this is... What, this is how Jesus, or Paul, came to Jesus. Like, if you ever heard a Damascus Road experience, this is that. He was literally on his way to arrest and kill the church, and God intervened. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law, and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. And earlier in the book of Acts, he was also a follower of Jesus, and the Lord, told, the Lord told Ananias to go to him and pray for him. And so he came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that very moment, I could see him. Then he told me, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear him speak. Well, that's a pretty cool calling. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. And then he said, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. This is, this is redemption at work. After I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem, for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. But the Lord, I argued, they, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was, I was in complete agreement when your witness, Stephen, was killed. In fact, some scholars believe that Saul because he was the one holding the coats when Stephen was killed, that he was the one that authorized the killing. He was kind of the judge, jury, executioner. So he was the one that said, okay, kill him, I'll hold your coats. I stood by and kept the coats. They took off when they stoned him. But the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened until Paul said that word. Then they all began to shout, Away with such a fellow, he isn't fit to live. 
first thought I want to leave you guys with in this snapshot of Paul's life is God's redemption is far-reaching. When you look at the overall course of this man's life, you would understand that what he was doing in our mind, in our cancel culture, in, in what the world would say, we would say this guy is beyond help. He is after the church. He is trying to kill the church. Why would God recruit him for our team, right? But God, in his redeeming eyes, he saw a man that was a perfect candidate for redemption. And what's so interesting, if you go back and read his account, or, or account earlier in the book of Acts, because it's recorded a couple times, Ananias even argued with the Lord. He's like, God, isn't this the guy that's killing the church? And the Lord's like, go to him anyways. Because God doesn't write anyone off. God sees different than we do. We always say stuff like, it's a backwards and upside down kingdom. So if you're here today and you're saying, how can God use me? How, I've done too much. Or, or you're watching, you're like, how can God use me? I've done too much. Well, you're the perfect candidate for God to use. If you think you're worthy, well, I'm worthy to be used by God. Well, God's probably going to be like, oh, we're going to wait till they don't feel worthy. Because God's not going to share with you his glory when he uses you. And God's redemption is so far-reaching. There's no one beyond. And this is, I know this is so elementary. But I want you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, 12 through 15. We're going to read this together. And, um, and it's Paul accounting to a young man who he calls his spiritual son. And he's talking to this man about why God redeemed him. He said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. Isn't that crazy? When you just read about how Paul's like, I persecuted the church. I was arresting both men and women. I hounded some of them even to death. I had them stoned. I had them killed. I had them arrested. I put children, I mean like... This was a bad dude, all for the, and he, and he thought he was serving God. And yet, right here, he's saying, he's saying that God thought I was trustworthy to be used in this capacity. And then he goes on, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ, in my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God, but God, had mercy on me. How many of you guys are so thankful that God has those conjunctions in there? That he says, but God had mercy on me. Let, let's just say that together. Let's just say, but God had mercy on me. But God had mercy on me. Every one of us. Well, I never persecuted the church. I never, I never did anything wrong. I just went to church as a kid and I decided to follow Jesus. It was just like, I had no choice, but I, here I am following Jesus. God still had mercy. He put you in a family that brought you to church. I mean, but God. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, man, aren't you so thankful for the mercy of God? The mercy of God is essentially God not giving you what you deserve. Every one of us deserves something completely different than what God's poured out on us. But God had mercy on me. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and the love that comes from Christ Jesus. Not only did God have mercy on Saul, but then he turned around and filled him with the spirit of the living God. And then he gives us this little nugget talking about redemption. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That neighbor that you can't stand, that's always messing up your yard. Christ Jesus came into the world to save him. That boss that is so unfair and so backwards in his 
morals and ethics. Christ Jesus came into the world to save that person. That child that has ran so hard and says, I want nothing to do with God. Christ Jesus came into the world to save that person. Because God's redemption is far-reaching. And then Paul goes on to say this. And if the Bible says this, I would argue and even arm wrestle you that it's true. He said, and I am the worst of them all. Some translations say, I'm the worst of sinners. Paul considered himself the worst of sinners. And it's in scripture, and we know that God's word's infallible, so maybe Paul was the worst of sinners. And let, let's keep going. And we'll see why God's redemption is far-reaching. Is that it? All right. I'm going to keep going. But God, in verse 16, had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example. A prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. God's redemption is far-reaching. God's redemption is far-reaching. The reason why. I mean, think about this. God saved Paul to point to the fact that there's no one beyond redemption. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they, too, can believe in him and receive eternal life. Verse 17, all honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God, a man. Paul is emphasizing the fact that no one is beyond the redemption of God. No one's beyond the redeeming power of God. God has cleared the debt of sin. He wants to redeem. He does not want to cancel. And we see a man who by his own words written in the most infallible book that's ever been written, the very word of God say, I'm the worst sinner that's ever lived and yet God saved me so he can save you because God's redemption is far reaching. God doesn't cancel a single person that's ever lived in it, nor will he, nor will he ever because God wants to redeem. God redeems purpose. God redeems hope. God redeems families. God redeems people. God redeems finances. There's nothing beyond the redeeming power of Jesus Christ because God's redemption is far-reaching. So if you feel like you should not be redeemed because you've done too much, you're the perfect candidate for redemption. The perfect candidate. God is not looking to cancel you like the world would cancel you. I don't care if you murdered people. I don't care if you stole. I don't care if you've embezzled. I don't care if you cheated on your wife, your husband, and kicked your dog. I don't care. God wants to redeem you and give you new purpose in Christ Jesus. There's nothing beyond God's redemption because his redemption is far-reaching. Paul, in our culture today, Paul would be the last candidate to be an apostle. He'd be the last candidate for redemption. Why would we clear his debt? And Redemption goes uh, twofold. And the second thought I want to give you today, the second thought is God's redemption is final and a process. It's both. When God redeems you, you are fully redeemed before God. When, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he died and rose again and you, and you repent of your sins, you're redeemed. Period. In a story, God has given you a new identity. The old is gone, the new has come. But at the same time, redemption is a process. He is, he has redeemed you, he is redeeming you, and he will redeem you. Because one day we're going to die and stand before God and our salvation will be complete and we will be fully redeemed. Or Jesus, and I pray this will happen soon, praise, oh Lord, come. 
come. The Bible tells us to pray for his, his coming. Let's, let's pray, church, for his coming. Jesus will come again, and he'll rapture his church, and we'll be fully redeemed. Our redemption will be complete. But it's com we're fully redeemed, but we're also being redeemed. Because the point of God's redemption is to make us like Jesus over time. The more we submit to the power of the Holy Spirit in us, the more we look like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit redeems us. The Holy Spirit redeems us. There's nothing you can do to earn God's redemption. There's nothing you can do to um, make it up to God. It's a free gift. He wants to redeem. His redemption is far-reaching. It's final. When you accept Jesus, you, you stand before God fully redeemed. If you accept Jesus today as your Lord and Savior and you walk out and get hit by a car and die, you will stand before God fully redeemed. But if you keep living... God's going to continue to redeem you. He's going to make you like Jesus. And I want to give you a snapshot of this man, Paul, 20 years into his ministry. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and it goes through chapter 11, verse 1. We're just going to read a couple verses. It says, and, and we're, we're, we're stepping into the middle of a conversation that Paul is Trying to under, he's trying to help people understand that I'm here to serve. I'm here to point people to Jesus. He says, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. We step right into the Follow my example. So he says, as I follow the example of Christ. So some translations say, follow me as I follow Christ. Or imitate me as I imitate Christ. And, and what Paul is getting at is, and this is a testament to how God's redemption works. Paul could not have made this famous statement, imitate me as I imitate Christ, when he first got saved. Because he didn't know what Christ was. He had to submit over the course of 20 years to the Holy Spirit constantly what he would say, dying to yourself, offering himself as a living sacrifice to God, then he could confidently say here, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's a bold statement, right? And he's not saying, follow me and look like Paul. He's saying, if you, this is the power of the redemption of God. This is a man who killed the church. This is a man who, who drugged families and ruined families and ruined generations. And yet here he is 20 years into ministry after letting the Holy Spirit redeem him and him constantly saying, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. And did he get it right all the time? No. You can go back and read some of his other books before this. Galatians being one of them, where he's writing to these people that just tick him off, and he's like, man, I hope they finish the job and emasculate themselves. I think that was a little bit of Paul coming out in, in some stuff. That, that wasn't very Christ-like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> He didn't get it right all the time. But we see the process at work. And what he's getting at is, as he's saying, follow me as I follow Christ, or imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's saying, if you imitate me, you're going to look like Jesus. Ooh. How many of us can make that statement? If you imitate me, you're going to look like Jesus. That's what Paul was saying. Follow me as I follow Christ. He walked so much in this redemption power of the Holy Spirit in him that he looked like Jesus. And he could confidently say to people, if you, listen, if you just do what you see me do, you're going to look like Jesus. Because God's redemption is final. You're fully redeemed, but it's also a process. And the Holy Spirit, the only way this works is when we submit to the Holy Spirit in us. 
We've got to submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The Bible says in Romans 12, this is a letter that Paul wrote. He says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. So we, we, we lay our wants, we lay us down before God, and we, we, we start saying things like this, genuine things out of our heart. God, I want what you want. Align my wants to your wants. God, I, I, I want you to use me the way you want to use me. I don't want to put stipulations on how. I just want to be used by God. And when we start laying ourselves down, that's God's redemption working at us. And here pretty soon the Holy Spirit starts making us look more and more and more and more and more like Jesus. Because that's the end game. God doesn't need a bunch of Ryan Tathams running around or, or Nathan Tosh's running around or Ben Herzog's running around. Gosh, that would be chaos. We would talk all the time and nothing would get done because we love to talk. We love the fellowship with one another. God wants to make us like Jesus. And that's why we see that it's this process. It's far-reaching, it's final, and a process. It's final and a process. The longer Paul submits himself to the redeeming power of the Holy Spirit, the more like Jesus he becomes. And may I submit to you, the longer we submit ourselves or die to ourselves and submit to the power of the Holy Spirit, the redeeming power of the Holy Spirit, the more like Jesus we become. But some of us, and I'm going to step on some toes right now. This is not my notes, but I just really feel it, so I'm going to preach it like I feel it. Some of us, God has told you to do something. God has told you to lay something down. It might not be like, I actually need to go do something. But maybe the Holy Spirit has been working with you for decades on pride or a lie or something like that. And you have not repented of it. And you have actually stunted your growth in Christ. And you're stuck as an adolescent, even though you're older. God wants to redeem you and mature you over the course of your life. But if we don't walk in repentance and let the Holy Spirit, when he brings things, how, did, how does the redemption power of God work? Well, when the Holy Spirit brings something up in you as you study and spend time with him, you study the word of God, you're praying, and he says, hey, you need to repent to this person or you need to ask for forgiveness of this, or whatever it is, or you need to stop doing it. It, cannot, it doesn't have to be sinful. It just be like, hey, for, for instance, there is an app on my phone called International Movie Database, and the Holy Spirit convicted me of it. He's like, you're on that all the time, because I love movies. I like to watch trailers. I love that stuff. And he said, I need you to delete that off your phone. And I'm like, God, it's not even sinful. It actually tells me ratings and stuff like that. And he's like, delete it off your phone. And so I have. And this is years ago. I've never put the app back on my phone. Every now and then when the kids are watching a movie and I want to know what's in it, I'll go to that so I can see what's in the synopsis. But I've never put the app back on because it was taking up so much. It's not sinful. It's a great resource. International Movie Database. Write it down. Use it. It will tell you why stuff is rated what it's rated. It's a great resource. But the Holy Spirit convicted me of it. And I deleted it. But that's how the redemption process works. That's how he makes us more like Jesus. Because anything, anything that gets in the way of us looking like Jesus is something we need to give to God. And if we don't give it to God because we like it, then suddenly we created an idol in our life. We're actually committing idolatry at that point because we are choosing something over God. And that's how we can halt the redemption process is by not submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's a sad thing, but we have so many Christians that are older and yet they're so immature in their faith. And no one wants to talk about this. I don't care if you've been saved five minutes or 50 years. At the end of the day, the goal is the same. The Holy Spirit gets rights to us. And our job is to submit to him because he wants to make us like Jesus. 
He wants to make us like Jesus. And it's a process of submitting. And, the, and there are things that God wants to do in your life. There are things that God wants to do through your life. And, and the, maybe the Lord has given you a word and you haven't seen that word come to pass. And maybe the reason why you haven't seen it come to pass is because you haven't submitted to him. Because we, we get to choose how fast we mature in Christ. We, get, we do. We get to choose how quickly God starts using us. We do. And it all boils back down to this. Submission to the Holy Spirit. And that process. The more we lay ourselves down to the Holy Spirit and say, yes, I want what you want. I, I'm going to lay my preferences. I'm just going to do what you tell me to do. The more we do that, the faster he makes us like Jesus. And the faster he brings about what he wants to do through us. And the more quickly we mature. Because we're not operating like ourselves. We're operating like Jesus. God's redemption is final and a process. And then the last snapshot I want to give of Paul's life. is found in 2 Timothy, but the last thought I want to give you is God's redemption brings confidence. God's redemption brings confidence. So God's redemption is far-reaching. It doesn't cancel anyone. It doesn't write anyone off. He wants to redeem. God's redemption is a process, and it's final. It, he fully redeems upon salvation, and yet he constantly makes us more like Jesus through his redemption then God's redemption brings confidence. I want to read a section of scripture. This is, this is 32 years into ministry. Paul is about to lose his head, literally, for preaching the gospel. He's about to go to an executioner's block. 32 years before this, he was having people killed for following Jesus. He's about to be killed for following Jesus. And we're going to pick up in verse 6, 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says this, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. You notice what Paul didn't say there? He didn't bring up his past. He didn't bring up the fact that he killed the church. He didn't bring up the fact that <laughs> he drugged people into prison. He didn't bring up any of that. Paul confidently spoke about what God's going to do for him because he served Jesus. That's how thorough God's redemption is. God's cleared Paul's debt. If our world would look at Paul today and hear him say that, they would say, you don't deserve a single thing. Look what you did 30 years ago. They would hold it over his head, but that's not how God works. God's redemption brings confidence that we can stand. Paul wasn't standing in his ability. He was standing in this scripture. He's writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, and he's saying, I'm going to stand in the redemption power of God. The only way I can stand in confidence is because God has cleared my debt. All the things I've done, and he knew about them. He called himself the worst of sinners 10 years before this, in a letter to the Corinthian church, he understood what he did was awful, and he probably regretted it. Some people believe that the thorn in his flesh 
Because if you go back and read 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about a thorn in his flesh, and he, he pleaded with Jesus three times, please remove the thorn. Like, I don't want this anymore. And, 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 and each time the, Jesus would come to him and say, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so out of that, he says, so I boast in my weakness. I don't boast in my strength because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. We get these beautiful scriptures. But a lot of theologians believe that the thorn that Paul had in his flesh, and the Bible says, <laughs> the Bible says it was an agent of Satan, sent by Satan. But then Paul turns around and calls it a gift from God. What? Like, God can use something sent by Satan to become a gift? 100%. Agent sent by Satan to terrorize and to keep Paul humble was a gift from God that he used to point him back to the the redemption of God, to the redeeming power of God. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. There's not a greater statement of redeeming power than that. And many theologians believe, and I I know I left you hanging, that the thorn in his flesh, we don't know what it is, but the thorn in his flesh were the faces of the saints that he had killed. He, He was asking God to remove, Lord, Help me not to live with this overwhelming debt or this overwhelming regret with this overwhelming weight. I can't live with it. I'm so ashamed of what I've done to your church. And Jesus steps in. I cleared it. My grace is sufficient for you. Because God doesn't remove our memories. He doesn't. When you come to Jesus and, we, and he clears your debt and you put your faith in him, you're still going to remember every time you sinned. You're still going to remember every time you messed up. You're still going to remember that. But what Paul is saying, he's saying, I can stand in the redemption power of God that God does not see it. He has cleared my debt. So Paul In this, as he's standing, he can confidently say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. That's how thorough. That's how powerful. That's how amazing the redeeming power of God is. He doesn't write anyone off. You say... But Pastor Ryan, I'm a mess. I'm a wreck. God sees a purpose. God sees a plan. God has a plan for your mistakes. (laughs) God has a testimony that he can reach. There are people, get this, there are people that only you can reach with the gospel. I can't reach them with the gospel, but you can reach them with the gospel because of what God redeemed you out of. God redeems purpose. God redeems families. God redeems hope. Man, maybe you've lost your hope. Maybe the world's come against you and you just can't find, like, this has just been a rough season. I can't just, I can't even make myself hope again. Man, last year just robbed me. This year's just robbed me and I can't find joy. God redeems joy. God redeems hope. God redeems You're like, I'm, I'm having such a hard time just believing. God redeems faith. God redeems. There's nothing beyond his redeeming power. He restores. He's cleared that debt. I dare you to hope again. I dare you to walk in faith again. I dare you to stand like Paul says. He stands and he says, I'll boast in my weakness. Because I know who I am without Jesus, but I know what he saved me from. I know what he saved me from. Man, Satan is always trying to put something on you. 
He's always trying to put discouragement. He's always trying to put anxiety, depression. He's always trying to put something physical on you. He's always trying to get you to not have hope that God is good. He's always trying to do all that. He's always trying to put something on you. But God, he doesn't necessarily take it off of you, but God is always walking with you through something. He doesn't take it off of you instantly, but he walks. Satan puts it on, depression. Well, what does God do? He shows up in your depression, and he says, let's walk, let's link arms, and let's walk through this. Like, God, I'm so afraid. What if I do something? I got anxiety. You know, there, we, we need to rebuke anxiety. Don't get me wrong. But God shows up in that anxiety, and he brings peace. He links arms. And he says, I'm going to walk you through this. Because that's what redemption does. It doesn't leave you. It doesn't cancel you. It doesn't run out on you. It redeems you. It brings you through it. And you come out more beautiful than you ever were. You come out more complete than you ever were. You come out more like Jesus than you ever were. Because that's what redemption does. That's what God's redemption does. God's redemption is far-reaching. God's redemption is final and a process. And God's redemption brings confidence because it is so thorough. It's so thorough. It redeems every part of your being. It's so thorough. just take a moment. Let's just pray. Let's just thank the Lord. Let's thank the Lord for what he redeemed us from. Let's just thank the Lord. Let's just start, let's just start praying church. Let's just, let's just thank him. What, what did, what did he redeem me from? What, and, and just start thinking about those things that, that, that God's brought you out of that, that the world would have canceled you in, but God said, no, I'm going to redeem you. I have a purpose in that. God wants to redeem you so much that as an insurance policy upon believing in Jesus, he puts the Holy Spirit, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave in you. The apostle Peter, in his first epistle, he says, everything we need for a holy life has been given to us in Christ Jesus. And that what he has given us is his spirit. And some of us have been listening to a different spirit for too long. Maybe the spirit of fear, maybe the lies of the enemy, false narratives. But I just want us to stop for a moment and let's just clear our mind. Maybe you need to say, Satan, I bind every thought in the name of Jesus that's racing against your in your mind and let's just clear it for a moment and let's see what the Holy Spirit has to say. I believe that he's about to speak to some people. I believe that he's going to put some passing thoughts in people's head that, that it's going to sound something maybe like, I love you and I see you. I haven't left you. I haven't ran out on you. He's going to, he's going to start reassuring you. He's going to remind you of his goodness. So let's just, let's just quiet our minds. And let's just take a moment to just listen. Maybe just say, Holy Spirit, just speak to me. Because he, he's always speaking. Let's just listen. Let's just listen.
God good? How many of you guys felt that the Lord just, he just whispered something to you? Honestly, just show your hands. I can tell you what I, what I felt like he spoke to me. I felt like he said, son, I am with you and I am for you. I have not sent you here to fail. Jesus, but before we do, as soon as I walked up on stage today, I knew what I needed to do. And I could be wrong about this, but to the point when something weird happens to me, I start asking, Lord, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And I had something weird happen to me during worship. And I'll be quite honest with you. I started getting a pain right under my right kneecap, right through here. Sharp pain. And it's come and gone throughout my message. And I've been wondering, like, what does this mean, God? Because I never get pain like that. And I feel like the Lord wants to heal someone with pain in their right knee. And maybe I'm just having pain. I did turn older this week, and it could be, it could be that. But I just feel like that's not the case and I'm willing to make myself look like a fool if someone gets touched by God I don't care I I just I don't because I want God to be glorified so who here specifically it was right my my right knee who here is having pain in the right knee currently two all right, stand up. Stand up. Church, reach out your hands. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready, Bob? God, God's going to heal you. And I'm going to ask you afterwards, Are you? Are, is it currently hurting? Yeah, Lizzie, are you? Are you currently hurting? Okay. Are you currently hurting? Okay. What about you, Bob? Are you currently hurting? Okay. This is what's going to happen. We're going to pray, and God's going to heal you. And you're going to notice those moments that it has been hurting, it, it won't be hurting anymore. Like Miss Ada... The Lord healed her kidneys three days after we prayed for her. Another lady, um, Pastor Ben's mom, the Lord healed her like a week later. And just boom. I mean, like, but I believe God's going to heal you now. We're going we're, we're to ask God to release healing because it's already there. And it's going to enter your body. And you're going to be healed because God's a healer. In the name of Jesus. Is there anyone else? needs healing. Right knee. Right knee. Okay. Right now. In the mighty name of Jesus, I speak healing over every right knee. Lord, over these three and anyone who is watching online. Lord, anyone who did not stand, but they did. Lord, I speak healing right now in the mighty name of Jesus. You see the faith. You see their faith, and Lord, we believe right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Knees, I command you to work as you should. I command the pain to be gone and never to return. Lord, we thank you. Oh, Jesus, I thank you for what you are doing. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you that you are a redeemer. I thank you that you see us through. I thank you that you are here in this moment and that you are here for your church and that you are going to move in our lives today. I thank you for what you're going to move through our lives this week. In the name of Jesus, I thank you for what you've just done. Church, let's stand and let's worship. Let's worship. It's done. I will rest in your promises, my confidence. You 
praise your faithfulness and I will rest in your promises my confidence is your faithfulness I will I will rest in your promises my confidence oh, is your faithfulness and I will rest in your promises. My confidence is your faithfulness. Oh, you faithful, faithful you are. Oh, faithful forever you will be. Oh, faithful. are yes and amen oh and all your promises are yes and amen and I will rest in your promises my confidence mm, is your faithfulness and I will rest in your promises my confidence oh is your faithfulness and I will rest in your promises my confidence oh is your faithfulness and I will advocate of the sinner's prayer because I've seen too many people say the sinner's prayer and uh, go back to living the same way. I'm a huge advocate for a changed life though and God wants to redeem you and how that happens and we just sang it all his promises are yes and amen and the Bible promises that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Like Jesus is God he is Lord. We confess that we believe and believe in our hearts that he died on the cross and he rose again. We confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. Jesus, forgive me. And we believe in our hearts that he died on the cross and he rose again. That's it. You do that. That's, that's not a prayer. That's not a... That, that's a personal decision that you have to reconcile in your own mind. And if you're watching online or you're here and, and you're like, I, I need God to redeem me. Well, it starts with that promise. God promises to redeem us when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is the son of God, that he's the king of all kings. We confess it. We ask him to forgive our sins. And then we believe in our hearts, like this is not like I, I believe, like I, like no, no, like it's you get it from your head to your heart. Like we believe in the core of our being that he died on the cross and that God raised him to life on the third day. You do that, you are redeemed. That's it. God made it so simple. He didn't, he could have said, go to Jerusalem and pray this. He didn't. You could pray right where you're at. If you're watching, 
online, in a car, in a living room, if you're sitting in your seat or on the way home or whatever that is. It's just God, I believe, I believe. John 3.16 says, whoever believes, right? It's, it's, it's all based on faith. We are saved by grace through faith. We believe. It's not about a prayer prayed. It's not about any of that. It's about I'm giving myself to God. I'm choosing to live. And the proof that you have is in the life change. It's in the life change. It's not tears cried at an altar. We've all seen it. If you've been in church more than a year, you've seen the people fill tears, rivers of tears in the altar, and they go out and just sleep around. They go back to the same habits. Because that's not proof of repentance. True repentance brings joy because you understand, like, God saved me. I'm redeemed. Hallelujah. I can honestly say I've, I've fought the good fight. I finished the race. You know, like, we can, God redeemed. It's all on him, and it brings joy. I love you guys. I love you guys. Man, we have, we still have candy. And we want you guys to take it. Let it be a conversation starter. Like, God redeemed me. He can redeem you. Here's a free gift. Use it, take it, eat it. We love you guys. Have a blessed week.